Amen. If you'd open your copy of God's Word this morning, or you can find a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And uh, we're going to the book of 2 Samuel this morning. 2 Samuel, and we're going to be in two different chapters there, chapters 11 and chapters 12, 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel. We're looking at a series we're calling Flawed Hero Scenes from the Life of David. You know, when it comes to David, I suppose a lot of people, if you were to ask about David, they would talk about one of his greatest victories. Uh, They would talk about David and Goliath, where he killed that giant with that sling and that stone and won the great victory, David and Goliath, but also assumed there might be a large number of people who might mention one of his greatest failures, David and Bathsheba. And we're going to talk about that failure in his life today as we talk about David and Bathsheba. But let's just be honest about it. When you think about David's life, this scene just doesn't seem to fit. I mean, here's the sweet psalmist of Israel, David. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Uh, Here's the one who, uh, upon his throne, is going to rule and reign the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he does something that seems so out of character. He commits adultery, and then he commits murder to cover his adultery. Now, this story is such a sad one, and I read it again this past week as I studied it. And if you haven't read it recently, it would just leave you a bit surprised at just how far... David was willing to go to cover his tracks. In fact, it reads much like a movie script. We're going to read it together today. In fact, we're going to read more Scripture this morning than we may read on a regular Sunday. We read a lot of Scripture. We're going to read a lot of Scripture today. And I wish we had more time, but I'm assuming most of you want to depart at noon, so we won't be able to cover it verse by verse. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the story together, and then we're going to come back and draw some lessons from it, okay? So you've got your spot there, Second Samuel chapter 11, and I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Everybody has the picture, right? David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and now she is with child. She's pregnant. So let's see what David does. Look at verse 6. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. That's Bathsheba's husband, by the way. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. You know, small talk. How's it going out there on the battlefield? Verse 8, And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house. Wash your feet. 
So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. Go on down, go home, and uh, here's a good bunch of food for you. Verse 9 says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, now watch these words, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Wow. Uriah was certainly acting more nobly at this point than King David, wasn't he? Especially when we read what happens next. Look at verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. This is King David. Man after God's own heart. He made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, and he did not go down to his house. Now, David pulls out all the stops, but to no avail. But rest assured, beloved, David will not give up on covering his sin. He will stop at nothing less than murder. And I want you to read what happens next in the story of verse 14. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He put it in Uriah's hand to take back. Verse 15, And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people, the servants of David, fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all things concerning the war. And he charged the messenger saying, When you finish telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerobsheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Verse 22. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us to the field. And then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants. And, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, I want you to watch what David said in verse 25, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. The deed was done. The husband was out of the picture. His skin is covered, right? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah 
heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead. She mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. It was old Spurgeon, I think, who said something to the effect of God will not allow His child to sin successfully. God will not allow His child to sin successfully. In other words, God is going to deal with His child. He's going to correct and discipline His child like any good parent would. You do, don't you? When your child does something wrong, you discipline them. You correct them because you love them. And God loved David. And God was not going to let David get away with this. And He sent someone to deal with David. And He does it in a masterful way. And we're going to look at chapter 12 now, verse 1. So we just read it. It's displeased the Lord. And then look at chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him, this precious little lamb that belonged to this poor man. Verse 4, And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. In other words, instead of taking out of his huge flock, he took the little precious lamb of the poor man and cooked it for dinner and gave it to his guests. Look at verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this shall surely die. He's going to die for that. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David's all worked up with righteous indignation. And then Nathan pulls the trigger. Verse 7, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Now I want you to put yourself in David's sandals for a moment. He's ready to kill the one in the story. But he was the one in the story. He was the rich man. You are the man. You're the man, David. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. David, I blessed you and I would keep on blessing you. But look at what it says at verse 9. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in His sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. 
David was exposed. God laid it all out in the open. And beloved, I want you to understand something. Sin can be forgiven. Praise the Lord. But it still has consequences. And I want you to notice what it says in the next several verses, beginning at verse 10. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And by the way, come back next week. We're going to study that out some next week. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, now I want you to remember now, David is a man after God's own heart. We begin to see that here. David said in verse 13 to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned. I've sinned. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given a great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child of Uriah's wife before uh, bore to David, and it became ill. Now I want you to notice the gracious hand of the Lord in David's life. I want you to watch this murderer and this adulterer, and I want you to notice how he turns to the Lord in the next part of the passage, verses 16 through 23. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not hear our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. Now watch this. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And his servants were confused. The servants said to him, verse 21, what is this that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you rose and ate food? And he said, well, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now watch, the Lord is still gracious. Look at the next two verses. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called him Jedidiah because of the Lord. That's a lot of scripture to digest, I know. But we're not done. I want you to put your finger there, and I'm going to read one more passage to you. And turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We're going to give you some lessons right after this. Psalm 51. I want you to notice in your Bible the title above Psalm 51. 
Psalm 51 says to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So this psalm comes after David is confronted by Nathan and says, you are the man. And I want you to notice the heart of David. Remember, he's committed adultery, he's committed murder, but his heart beats for God. And I want you to notice what he writes in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part you'll make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Do you see, beloved, why David is a man after God's own heart? His heart is still tender. He's been working at hardening it for a long time, but it's still tender. And he repents and he cries out to the Lord for what? Restore unto me my joy. The joy of my salvation. He never lost his salvation, but he lost his joy. And beloved, sin will do that. Now, we're not going to take the time. We could go and read Psalm 32. You might want to jot that down and read that later. I'll read a couple of verses from it in a little while. But Psalm 32 will also help you to see what's going on in David's mind and heart at this time. But we're not going to give you some reminders before we run out of time. And some lessons that we're going to take from these scriptures we read this morning. And these are really simple. And uh, you say, well, I've heard these before, but listen, we need reminded of these three things. Okay? So we've gone through 2 Samuel 11, 2 Samuel 12, we've gone through Psalm 51, and I want to give you three reminders this morning. Number one, I want to remind you that none of us, none of us are immune to temptation. We are capable of doing horrible things. None of us are immune to temptation. We're capable of doing horrible things. Just because you haven't yet doesn't mean you couldn't or you won't. You say, what, what, what do you say? Just because you haven't yet doesn't mean you can't and it doesn't mean you won't. In fact, when we think that we cannot commit a certain sin, 
or we think, you know, I would never do that, we better remember 1 Corinthians 10.12. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When you think, I would never do that, beware! We need to remember that even as a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even as a Christian, we can royally mess up. David did. He royally messed up. We can ruin our lives. We can ruin our families. We can ruin our testimonies. We can ruin our ministries. And it doesn't matter if you've been a servant of the Lord for for five minutes or five years or 50 years. You may have a clean record up to this point, but you're still capable of falling into sin and displeasing the Lord. Look at David. Now, the last time we studied David, you remember, he was waiting to be king. And he was on the run from Saul who was trying to kill him. Now, at this point, that's been years ago. He is the king now. And he's been the king for some time. Jerry Vine said David is at the zenith of his reign. He has been king for approximately 20 years. He's about 50 years old. He's financially secure. His subjects praise him. He's been extremely successful as king. In some ways, David has arrived. He's the man. But it's dangerous for any of us, especially Christians, to become complacent. You know, we all face temptation. Even Jesus was tempted. But you know, temptation is not sin. It's when we yield to temptation that it becomes sin. You see, the first glance at Bathsheba on that evening, by the way, if you have a hard time remembering, her name is very appropriate, don't you think? You can always remember who it was, Bathsheba. She was out taking a bath. The first glance, it was not sin. It was temptation. It may have been an accident. It probably was an accident. He's strolling along and there's a woman bathing. And the temptation is there. It's not sin. What he should have done is he should have turned and he should have run. So the first glance was not sin. The second glance, then the leering, then the lusting, then the rest, that was sin. Beloved, temptation's real and it's all around us and we need to walk humbly and carefully and prayerfully through this world. The Lord knew that. Did He not teach us to pray this prayer uh, and lead us not into temptation? but deliver us from evil. In other words, don't let us fall, Lord. Help us, Lord. Don't let us fail. Don't let us give in to temptation. The temptations are often, the temptations are many, and no one is immune to temptation. I dare say the majority of folks, even this morning up to this point, and it's not even noon yet, you face temptation. And I guarantee you'll face temptation this afternoon. You'll face temptation probably before you even get out of this building. No one is immune to temptation. We're capable of doing horrible things. But there's a second truth and a second lesson about temptation. You know, sin looks pretty good when you're being tempted, but afterward, it destroys. We know this, don't we? We know this. But we forget it at the moment we decide to give in to temptation. It's like when you go fishing. You may choose a night crawler. You may choose a colorful lure. But what's in that lure? What do you put that night crawler on? You put it on what? A sharp hook. And then you throw that out there in the pond or the lake or whatever. And depending on what you're fishing and how you're fishing, you may let it sit there with your your cork or you may sit there and you're working that lure. And there it is, that colorful lure, and it's floating through the water and you're working it masterfully and there's a fish there swimming. (laughs) And there's a temptation. 
that looks good. And he's hungry. And he's swimming. And all of a sudden, he decides to this little fish brain. I don't know how big the brain of a fish is. But the fish decides, I'm going to have that. And he strikes that bait. And what happens? The hook is set. And he's on your dinner plate that evening. That's the way sin works. Sin doesn't show all of its cards up front. Sin doesn't show you the after effects. It appeals to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. You go back and you study temptation in the Scripture, it applies to those three things. Go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis uh, chapter 3 and you find those three things. As they saw that fruit, it appealed to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Go over to Matthew chapter 4 where Satan tempted Jesus. He appealed to those three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Here, when David is tempted, we see those three things being appealed to. The lust of the eyes and the flesh. 2 Samuel 11, 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw lust of the eyes, a woman bathing... The woman was very beautiful to behold. Lust of the flesh. I want to have her. Pride of life. Verse 4. David sent messengers, took her. Why? Because he's the king. He can do whatever he wants, right? Who's going to say no to him? Even his servants tried to stop him. Did you notice that? Is this not, is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I don't care about that. Get her and bring her over here. See, he didn't see all the family turmoil, the strife, the heartache that awaited. All he saw was a beautiful woman that he wanted to have sex with and he forgot there's a hook. There's a hook. This is a man after God's own heart. None of us are immune. And like some of us have observed, David didn't curse God. He just forgot about God. Isn't that what we do when we yield to temptation? Oh, we still love God. Yeah, we don't forget about God. I mean, we don't curse God. We just forget about Him for a little bit. <laughs> we're not thinking about God. We're thinking about what we want. When temptation comes, beloved, remember there's a hook in it. There's a hook in it. There's a third lesson. And we're done. The best course of action when you sin, notice I put when, not if, because we do sin. The best course of action when you sin is quick repentance and confession. Don't wait. Quick confession and repentance. Don't wait. David lived with this sin for at least nine months, maybe a little bit longer. The baby's already been born. And beloved, he is, if I could just be honest with you, he's miserable during this time. And a true Christian will be miserable. You want to know one of the signs, one of the proofs that you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? When you sin, you become very miserable if you don't go ahead and get right about it. Because God will not let you sin successfully. God does not let us get away with our sin. He will lovingly discipline us. It's been noted, and I think it's true, and I think I've observed it, one of the meanest people you'll ever deal with is a backslidden Christian. Did you know that? You know, a backslidden Christian? They're, they're some of the most mean people you ever deal with. You know Why? Well, they can't fully enjoy the world and they can't fully enjoy God. They can't fully enjoy the world because they're a believer. They can't fully enjoy fellowship with God because they're right now in sin. And so the best course of action when you have sinned is quick repentance and confession. Listen to how David 
felt during this time. Let me read to you Psalm 32, 3 and 4. I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation, the NLT. He said about this, when I refuse to confess my sin. And that's what he was doing. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. That's how David felt. And I wonder how many Christians come to church on Sunday mornings and they're miserable. And they don't like to sing. They don't want to hear the hymns. They don't want to pray. They don't want to fellowship. And you know why? It's because God is dealing with them and they refuse to repent. What they need to do is confess and repent and ask the Lord to restore the joy of their salvation. When you sin, don't delay. Quick! Repent, confess, forsake that sin. Put this reference down. Don't lose it. Memorize it. Keep it with you. You're going to need it. Proverbs 28.13 Proverbs 28.13 He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Proverbs 28.13 He who covers his sin That's what David was trying to do. I'm going to cover this up. I'm going to do whatever I can to cover my tracks. It says, He who covers his sin will not prosper. You will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You know, I love the fact that this falls right on our lesson from this morning's Sunday school as we see the Lord Jesus restoring Peter. We see the Lord Jesus restoring David. God wants to restore our fellowship with Him. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now do it quickly. Now here's the problem though. When you have failed the Lord and you have sinned and you've royally messed up and you know that you've messed up, you know that you've sinned, sometimes you feel too bad to come to the Lord because you feel ashamed and you feel filled with guilt and remorse and regret. And He's the holy God who loves you. And you just feel like I can't come to listen. He's a gracious, loving Father who desires for you to come and allow Him to welcome you and to forgive you and restore you. Just as any good parent in here, your child may royally mess up, but it would bless your heart, would it not, when they come and say, listen, Mom, Listen, Dad, I've messed up. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. And you receive them. Now, we're out of time, but I wonder this morning, what is God saying to your heart? First of all, do you know Him? Has He forgiven your sin in the first place? Do you recognize that you've sinned and Jesus died for you and loves you and your sin separates you from a holy God, but Jesus died on the cross and shed His precious blood and was buried and rose again. He says, if you'll just call upon Him and turn from your sin and place your faith in Him and trust Him, He'll forgive you. Maybe today you need to be saved. I invite you to come to Jesus today. Or maybe you say, well, preacher, if the truth were known, I'm a rebellious child. I'm a rebellious child. And I'm miserable. Will you not repent, friend? Will you not come today and repent? And finally, these are lessons that we all need. Because as I said before, we're all going to face temptation. You've already faced it probably today, and I guarantee you will face it sometime before your head hits the pillow tonight. 
please remember, beloved, that when you face those temptations, there's a hook in it. And it's sharp. And it's painful. And it's deadly. The Bible says our adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Watch out for the hook. Father, thank You that You don't sugarcoat the stories of Your saints. And thank You, Lord, for Your restoration of David, Your forgiveness, Your cleansing, the restoration of joy. Father, I don't know what You're saying to the hearts of people of the day. I pray if anybody here does not know Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior, that You would allow us the opportunity to talk with them further about the cross about Christ. And then, Lord, if there's a Christian here and maybe you're dealing with them about something and they're resisting your working, I pray today they would repent, confess, and forsake that sin. And then, Father, we pray today as our Lord taught us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us, Lord. Help us not to yield the temptation. Have your will and way now in this invitation, I pray, and may give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 294, I believe it is. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. The altar is open. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to talk with you about that. We just take a Bible and sit with you. We're not here to embarrass you or, or make a spectacle of you. We just love to sit and talk with you about that. If you have something to talk to the Lord about today, you come. The altar is open as we stand and sing 294, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Mm-hmm.